Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there Matt, how are you today mate? Very good thank you, but I need to correct the record. Oh do you? What's straight off the bat? Straight off the bat. What have you done? Well... I wrote an article about three months ago. Right. And I do like the concept of hypotheticals. Actually, mm. do you remember the show that used to be on that was called Hypotheticals? Yes, I do actually. And I love the idea that you just set up a hypothetical situation and just talk about that yes. as reality. So it's a technique I use sometimes in my writing and I do quite enjoy it. And I wrote an article and I said at the, in that article that I'm not a fan of the colour orange. Oh, poor orange. A poor orange, that's right. Orange had done What's nothing orange wrong. have done to you? I'll tell you now. Well, I just said, I don't know why, but it just seems to be that the colour doesn't resonate with me. Now, the reason I was saying that was that I then went on to talk about the fact that if any business came to Dubbo and wanted to open its doors in Dubbo and put a development application in, and it had the colour orange in it, then I wouldn't let it open. So, for example, I said, if... So you were an orangist or something. Well, maybe, and this is where I went. I I said, if (laughs) if there was a store that sold Fanta or Harley-Davidson or KTM motorbikes or Shell Oil or Dunkin' Donuts or definitely the mobile phone carrier named Orange. Oh, there you go, there you go, yes. (laughs) Not only the colour orange, but the name (laughs) Orange in there. So I I talked about that. Now, it was obviously a hypothetical. I was talking about the fact that if you had a mayor who didn't like the colour orange, then he would block, he or she would block every colour orange item. And of course, I talked about the fact that this actually wasn't how it worked. Mm-hmm. The process is very technical. You you go through a DA process with our staff. Yes. Often they don't even come near the mayor or the councillors for a decision. And in fact, the mayor doesn't have the power all by themselves to make DA decisions. It goes Especially to a full council. Especially when the colour orange comes into it as well. <laughs> exactly right. So it was only me saying that I don't like the colour orange, to demonstrate how that might work if you had that situation where a mayor had all this power to approve DAs. Well, I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> do, do you have any problems with purple? <laughs> no, purple's fine. What I about like red? Purple. Blue? <laughs> I, I, I don't really... I suppose I suppose if I had to have a, a favourite colour, it would be purple, but I was going to say I don't really have a, a favourite colour. Oh, so that would stand to reason, obviously, yes. That's uh, it, yes. A, a colour's a colour's a colour, yeah. but I certainly don't have anything against any colours, in particular against orange. So anyone that read that article and didn't pick up from the way I wrote that article, me basically saying this isn't how DAs work at council. Well, I'm just clarifying it. <laughs> orange is okay. And if you've got orange in your logo, as long as you comply with all the laws you've got to comply with, it'll still be approved by council. Well, I'm so glad you cleared that there for all those people out there. You do love orange after all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy, let's jump into it. Now, look, there's been a hell of a lot of talk, hasn't there, in recent times in regards to the latest crime statistics. Now, during the week, it looks like uh, we've got some data that's finally come out. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time here today on this podcast. Actually, let's see if we can actually try to break down some of this data because there are some really interesting statistics that have come up. So first of all, what are we looking at here in regards to this data? One of the issues that we sometimes have is that the data comes out from BOXAR, B-O-C-S-A-R. You can look at that site. You can see all the same data that we're going to talk about today. There's always a delay in that data coming out. When there was some discussion about it previously, the discussion was based on, well, in my opinion, the data should have been around the end of December. The discussion should have been based Mm. around that data to the end of December. Mm. Now, people were saying, oh, no, breaking through the roof or Mm. cars being stolen, that's going through the roof, that's going crazy. It's been right across the media, hasn't it? Like You turn the TV on most nights and there's another sort of example of what they're trying to show. And there was some talk about 
maybe having a curfew, a yes. dusk to dawn curfew, right. which just sounded that. crazy. There was also talk about having a crime summit. So there's yes. all this discussion, and I actually said at the time, what does the data show us? Mm. And people said, my friend, they had their car stolen. Mm. Look at this, it's going through the roof. And I said, well, what you've just given me is an anecdote. Mm. And I learned a long time ago that the plural of anecdote is anecdotes. Mm. It's not data. No, that's right. It doesn't matter how many anecdotes you give me, it doesn't turn it into data. Mm. Give me some valid statistical data, yep. and then let's look at that. Yep. So I said at the time, let's just calm down a little bit. Mm. Let's see what the data has to show us. But, of course, people are saying that this is all happening now and the data is only back to assemble last year. Mm. Mm. So, of course, you're not going to get good data. So now, again, I'd prefer it came out earlier, but it doesn't. The data to the end of March has come out. So this is stuff, again, go to the Boxar website, just go on Google Boxar. Yep. You can look at this. The primary, there's a whole bunch of different data sets. The primary data document mm. is a 52-page document. Right. So there's a lot of data in there. It's a big document. It's a big document. It's mm. across the state. And they break it up in a whole range of different ways. They break it up by council area. They break it up by regions. Yes. So, for example, we're in the far west and Arana region. So that's got a lot of local government oh, areas so in it. So, so aren't we in sort of the central west region? Isn't that just our own little region here? Well, there is a central west, but the we're central. not in that. Oh, right. We're in the far west and Arana. So that means we're part of Burke and Exactly and right. Beyond. So that, that area goes, and I can't quote you all the places, but Burke, Walgut, Brewarrina, Ningen, Cobar, Warren. That so would if there's be problems logical. out there, that, that affects our figures as well. If you look at the far west Nirana, which right. is where I often see some of these figures quoted, is based on a region. But I want to look at the data from... Well, do we have a specific Dubbo region? We do. So okay. when you look at it again, that's why there's so many pages. Mm. It breaks it down to so many different areas. Okay. And then you can drill down further at it. And then they've got the data presented in a range of different ways as well. Mm. So there's a lot in there. But what I thought would be most relevant would be to get a snapshot of what was happening in the Dubbo Regional Council LGA yeah. and look at the quarter. So look at the March quarter. Now, yeah. rather than just look at March quarter versus another March quarter or look at year versus a previous year, yeah. when all the discussion was around just that particular quarter, I thought the best thing to do would be to look at a rolling quarter. So I took the data from 1st of April 2022 yep to the end of March 2023, so the most recent data we've got, yep. and then did a comparison of that data versus the previous 12-month data, which was 1st of January 2022 to the 31st of December 2022. So yep. essentially, let's look at that rolling three-month yep. change and see then what was the delta, what was mm. the change in that data over that time frame. Did you so see any noticeable things happening here? I did. I saw okay. a few different things happening, and probably not with exactly what you'd expect. Right, okay. So from that point of view, the big thing that seems to be really uh, being the most noticeable right now, that seems to be across all the media, and there seems to be two things. Number one is the uh, the ceiling of cars and then the burning out of cars in that sort of space. That seems to be a, a very topical sort of point of discussion. And the second one, as you already pointed out, is regards to break and enters. So what is our data telling us? So there's about 13 different categories that these okay. crimes are broken up into. One of those categories is motor vehicle theft. Yeah. In the data that I've got, it doesn't show me burnt out cars, mm -hmm. but motor vehicle theft, presumably most of the time when a car is burnt out, it has to be stolen mm. first. Not mm. many people go and no, burn their right. own car. No, exactly. So let's look at motor vehicle theft, for example. Mm. The change in the state, right. and there was some media around this when these figures came out, the change across the state was an increase of motor vehicle theft on this rolling quarter 
of 4.6%. So it's across the state. So motor vehicle thefts across the state has been up 4.6%. In Dubbo, 0.3%. 0.3%. So fairly small. It's very small. That's right. That's surprising because, again, all of what we refer to as the anecdotal evidence is all sort of pointing the other way. Certainly the media reports are referring the other way. But this is the data here. This is coming through from the Boxar reporting here that's stating the fact, though, that figures here in Dubbo are only up 0.3%. Correct. Now, this is – and the Boxar information comes from the police. They've got to report yep. the crime. So this is based on people that report crimes. So yep. if you don't report the crime, it doesn't feed into the data. But if you have your car stolen, mm. most of the time you're going to report that because you want to try and get it back. The recovery Absolutely. rate was quite good. Okay. The recovery rate – Across, I looked at a few different regions across the state, but it seemed to sit around about 85% most of the time. Right. So that's not too bad a recovery rate. Yeah. And I assume that means a recovery rate not burnt out. Mm. Yeah, I, I, right. I don't think they, they count when they get... recover a car once it's burnt out. Here exactly. you go, that's sir. Right. You can have this bit of... Yeah, thanks very much. A few yeah. ashes and stuff back. So, Absolutely. So that was interesting. That was one. The other one that I think was interesting was that people talked about break and enter dwelling or mm. your house broken into, essentially. Yes. And so when I looked at that one again, across the state, there had been a small increase, 1.2%. Yeah. In Dubbo, and this is Dubbo Regional Council, LGA, mm. breaking into dwelling had gone down by 6.5%. That's incredible. Mm. Now, it, it, again, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but right. I'm just sort of sitting here thinking from the whole point of view of you know, a Dubbo, res- Dubbo resident who I suppose is, is you know, like everybody, you get caught up in all the talk, but the statistics are saying the fact that our car theft was only 0.3% rise, our break and enter rates are down 6.5%. Mm. That goes completely contrary to everything that's being pushed and bandied across the social media, the media and everything. And, of course, this is the actual figures. This is from the police department itself, is it? That's exactly right. So the figures feed into Boxar as the Bureau of Crime, Statistics mm. and Research. So yeah. all that data feeds in. And I did talk to some people from Boxar and I did actually ask why it takes so long for the data to come out, but part of that is because they want to ensure the accuracy. They've got to get the data from the police. Mm. Again, all the police across the state, they've got to get all this information in, collate it, make sure it's right. They don't just want to grab it today and say, let's publish it tomorrow mm. and cross our fingers. So mm. when you read the box our information, you've got a high level of confidence mm. in that data. Now, it's not all plain sailing, but those were two, certainly, that we had heard a fair the bit of hype about. two main ones, because they're the two main ones that people have been talking about. Absolutely right. And there was a comment that I made with one of the media interviews I did when the hype was at its maximum, and I did say, slightly tongue-in-cheek, that social media doesn't always report accurate information, hmm. and social media sometimes likes to hype and get a bit carried away with things. And I'm, mm. I say social media mm. in the broadest sense of the world. Obviously, people are doing that. But sometimes you get someone who says, this happened to me, my car was stolen. Oh, my car was stolen too. But when you consider all the people across our LGA or across the entire state and two people saying, oh, no, we had a car stolen. Yep. Yes, unfortunately, there are car thefts. There is crime in our LGA. There's crime across the state. So I'm not sitting here saying there's no crime. There is crime. But is it terrible? It's terrible when any crime happens to is you. Is it worthy of a crime summit? Yeah, that's the sort of question I suppose. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is the, the situation. You've got here now these figures. And I, yeah, put on the line here in regards, there's been a lot of talk about Dubbo needing a crime summit. I'd imagine if you ran a crime summit based on these figures, there have to be question marks being asked as why. Yeah, that's right. And then you have to consider what it does to the reputation for your community. Everyone in Sydney says, crime summit in Dubbo, gee, it must be terrible out there. 
I won't go out there now. So then hospitality places, motels say, where are all our visitors? Why yeah. aren't people coming out here anymore? Oh, it's because you've got all this crime. Well, no, we haven't even looked at the data. No, no, but I heard you at a crime summit because mm. people aren't going to. If I'm in Sydney yeah. and I'm going to go somewhere for a holiday or a visit or a weekend, I probably don't go to Boxar as my first place mm. to go to. Mm, that's right. But if I see something on the news that says there's terrible yeah. crime in a location, yeah, that's probably a bit different. So let's look at some other bits so of data. So what have we got there that's actually gone up? So we have got some ones that have gone up. When you talk about – so there's two different categories for break and enter. One is break and enter dwelling, so that's your mm. house. That's yep. the one we just talked about went down. Break and enter non-dwelling, so this would be more like a shop, a business, yep. an industrial shed, that type of thing. Across the state, an increase of 1.9%. Dubbo went up by 5.3%. Okay, so, so up there a couple was, of percentage points more on that. Yeah, that's right. So there yep. was an increase there. And one of the things that I often talk about when I look at some of these figures is how do I feel in terms of safety, my personal safety, how do I feel when I walk down the main street at night? How do I feel when I go to bed at night? And some of the crimes that are being committed, how does that contrast to mm. my level of safety, my level of how safe I feel? Mm. Having things like breaking into my house going down, well, that's good because I want to feel safe when I go to bed at night. Breaking into non-dwelling, sure, as a business owner, you don't want people breaking into your business, you don't mm. want people breaking into your industrial shed, but it's not as if your personal safety is as compromised as breaking into your house. So yeah. if I had to pick one of those two that was going to go down, I'd mm. always want the one where it's my home, yeah. where it's people living, people sleeping at night to go down. Yeah. Yes, again, without needing to say it, I'll say it anyway, I would prefer they all went down. Absolutely. I prefer they went to zero. But, yeah, yeah. but again, we live but in the But I think the important world. point is here too, Matt, is the fact that you're not sitting here saying Dubbo's a perfect town and, and has no crime. You know, like we're realists and we understand the fact and we see it and of course there's crime here. But what we've got to look at back here as regards to the fact, what are the statistics telling us on a regular basis here in regards to stop the hyperbole around all of this? Now, you're noticing here in the fact that there's been the break-ins from the point of view of the business houses have gone up, unfortunately, and that's that's something everybody would love to see drop down. Is there anything else there in regards? What about vandalism? Is vandalism an issue? Yeah, so that's the other one that's gone up. And again, it's probably one of those ones where I don't feel unsafe with vandalism. But it's annoying. You yeah. see people vandalise. When they vandalise council property, for example, it costs us money to fix that. We might have to go and paint a wall or clean off some vandalism, so it's not nice. Across the state, it went up by 1%, but in Dubbo Regional Council, LG it went up by 9.3%. Now, that may be where some of the hype occurs because it's visual. Yeah. You very much see vandalism. You see something that's been broken or you see someone that's painted a wall. Now, I, I'm not in the area, of course, within the police department sort of thing, but um, I suppose from what I'll be sitting here considering too, that when we talk about vandalism, we're, we're probably talking about a certain type of age group, potentially, in regards to this as well. You know what I mean? Like, So from the point of view, I, I was watching there uh, one of the uh, police... Minister, what is he, the commissioner, not the commissioner, one of the guys in charge there, Greentree? Uh, Brett Greentree, yes. Brett Greentree there the other day. And he made mention of the fact that, yes, there has been some rise in certain areas in regards to it. And quite often a few of these guys are regular offenders. And that seems to be a factor, I'd be suggesting right now in regards to this too. And particularly looking at some of these crimes where they have gone up, potentially too where we may well be talking about a small group of people here that of a certain age group could be causing some issues here. Now, I'm just hyperbolizing, hypothesizing what I say in regards to what this could be. But statistics are sort of potentially leading that way maybe if we go back to the Bosco. And I haven't, I haven't got the data to back that up, so I don't know. I'd love to see the data that actually tracked 
the number of individuals committing the number of crimes. Yep. Do you the, get access to any of that sort of stuff? Or? The Boxo data I see doesn't have that. There may be other data behind the scenes. Mm. I've heard comments similar to what you were talking about there before from the police that mm. will sometimes say that when they've got a couple of offenders that are in a certain community, they know there'll be some additional crime from those couple of offenders. And mm. when those couple of offenders are moved away to another community or they might be put in jail for a certain period of time, they might see a drop. But I suppose from the community's perspective, they don't really care. Mm. If your house is broken into by 10 times in a year by 10 different people or the one person, yeah. you probably don't care. You probably think it's been yeah. broken into 10 times. But I think the point that the police are making there is it's probably easier for them to solve the crime when there are fewer people involved. Yeah. And then sometimes they make some commentary around the sentencing processes. And I, I won't get into that debate because we'll be here for another hour talking about sentencing processes. Absolutely. But sometimes I think that's where they feel a bit of frustration. They might get these couple of individuals that are committing mm. a lot of crimes mm. and they catch them and they've got all the data and information to say, here you go, and it goes through to a court system and the court system gets to the point where they're out in a very short period of time or they might be out the next day. Yeah. So then they can continue on their merry spree. Again, mm. that's a whole other debate. I won't go down that no, path no. at the moment. I'll just want to look at the data in front of us. You know what, though? It also sort of brings in the discussion the fact that we're a town of 50,000 people, basically. We're, we're talking about a small number of people here that are always going to sort of be involved with these figures we're looking at. You know, this we are an incredibly safe town based upon the vast majority of the people who still live here in this space who are great citizens and do wonderful things. And that's, I think, a really important point to make for people is, as you say, when you're walking down the street... You meet people here in Dubbo, great people, on a regular basis. So if we go back to these figures in regards to it, how are things going in regards to one of the, uh, we talk about in regards to something like, say, domestic violence? Do you get domestic violence figures on this? Yeah, you do. And domestic violence, I don't understand it, I don't get it, and no. anything that we can do to reduce that, because it must be a horrible feeling being in that situation we talked about last week for immigrants, for example, mm. a particular case there. But in domestic violence, you've got domestic violence-related assault, so there is a specific category for that. Yep. In the state, that went up by 1.8%. In Dubbo, that went down by 3%. Well, that's a good thing. And I look at another couple of ones that would be horrific crimes to be involved with as a victim, mm. and I look at two categories. One's called sexual assault, yep. and one's called sexual touching, sexual act, and other sexual offences. So mm. essentially, everything else related to any sort of sexual offence. Yep. Sexual assault still went up by 0.6% across the state. Right. But Dubbo went down by 16.3%. Wow. So that's a good sign as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And the same with sexual touching, sexual act, and other sexual offences, yep. up by 0.6% again in the state, but mm. down by 9.1% in oh, Dubbo Regional Council. Well, that's a positive, isn't it? That is a positive. So both of those are positive. Again, there are still victims of those crimes, and I yep. feel for them, but at least they're going in the right direction. The other one I want to mention mm. is one where it's one of those things where you can make stats do whatever you want them to do to yep. a certain extent. Yep. There's a category called robbery. Right. Now, I'm not an expert on what is in each actual category because robbery sounds like... Is if that I get different to a break-in? Well, I think it is. I think it must okay. be robbery from an individual person, but I don't okay. know. So if yep. someone's interested, go and Google it to see exactly what comes under robbery because mm. you'd think if your house got broken into, then that'd be a robbery, mm. but mm. that would be break and enter dwelling. So robbery is probably more from a personal sure. situation, I'm yep. guessing, but I don't know that one. I look across the state, that's gone up by 3%. Okay. In Dubbo... It's gone up by eight point seven percent. Okay, so you say alarming. that's right. So that might be one of those things again that I feel 
unsafe if I'm having robberies committed against yeah. me. But that's 8.7%. Then let's look at the size, the actual number of incidents mm. in the 12-month period, right. 1st of December, sorry, 1st of January 2022 to the 31st of December 2022. So for that 12-month period, mm. there were 23 incidents. Right. So two a month. Okay. Then you go to the following rolling 12-month so period. we're getting 8% rise in that 23, is it? It's going to 25. So no, there were two additional yeah. incidents. But if you just look at the raw data. So if you look at the, the actual the percentage data. 8.7. pretty bad. That's right. Oh, wow, 8.7. Mm. That's, that's out of control. What's going on? Yeah. But it was two extra incidents. And again, 25, that's, let's say, two a month. Yeah. It's not a lot. And yeah. that's the sort of thing Obviously, that, we'd all like to see these figures drop. But correct. you've got to keep this in perspective, though, too, don't you? That's right. And that's the sort of thing I think that would be scarier mm. than, say, for example, stealing from a motor vehicle or, mm. or some type of theft against property mm. that might involve the person. And one of the, the comments that I've often made is that I still feel safer walking down the street at night in Dubbo, yep. going to a supermarket, going out to a pub or a restaurant and coming out late at night. Yep. I still feel safer in Dubbo in my house yes. than I would, say, for example, in some other areas, and I won't pick on any particular areas. No. If I go to the gym early in the morning and I walk out, I don't feel like I'm going to have some crime, some mob-related crime that might occur out the front of the gym, which we've seen happen in Sydney, for example. So when you break it down and say, how do you feel Mm. living in Dubbo versus how do I feel? What's my personal feeling living in these various areas? Well, I still feel a lot safer here. And sometimes one of the reasons I think people get a bit excited about it and want to call for things like curfews and crime Mm. summits, et cetera, it's because we feel so safe. If anything happens, mm. sometimes that's a bit confronting because yep. we want it to be zero. Yep. We want it to be never happening. Whereas in Sydney, you kind of expect that to happen. Mm. You, you mm. almost feel like and I said I wouldn't pick different areas, but mm. I suppose I've just picked on I'm Sydney. Saying, but, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But but there are <laughs> there are certain areas where you would feel more threatened as a person, as an individual, than you would in Dubbo. But Absolutely. Anytime it happens in Dubbo, you feel a bit confronted. So. It's really interesting. Mm. Go to Boxer. I encourage anyone to go to Boxer. Yeah, have a look absolutely. at it. Absolutely, that's right. Huge amounts of data, and I guarantee, if your objective is to make Dubbo or anywhere look bad, you can make those figures make it look bad. If your objective is to make it look wonderful, yeah. it's wonderful the way you pick out those figures. But I thought those figures we've used are the most relevant because yeah. there was so much discussion and around the most recent that we've got. As that's well. right, and and there was so much discussion around the spike in crime yes, that we saw yes. at the beginning of the year, in particular. With those two things, motor vehicle theft and breaking into dwelling. So, again, where's council fitting with all of this? Mm. Our job is not to run the police. Mm. Our job is not to run the, the court system. We don't make the laws around sentencing. Mm. The best we can do, and this is a council resolution, the best we can do is get the various agencies together and make sure they're all talking and communicating, but most of these are state government agencies, and we'll help them out in any way, shape, mm. or form, but we are not the responsible mm. level of government for all these things. That's right. Now, Matt, last weekend, what a wonderful weekend it was as well with the New South Wales Junior Rugby Championships. Oh, it was wonderful actually here last weekend. Uh, I was out last Saturday night going out to get a bit of takeaway or something and um, it was just wonderful going out there. You talk about feeling safe in the space. Well, I'll tell you what, it was had a real buzz about the town last week as well. When uh, I'd be out there, I was getting, I won't say the name of the restaurant, but I was walked in there 
and there was a, two groups sort of walked past of these, these young people. There was a, a group, obviously, of the female group of uh, female participants from somewhere, and there was a young group of guys there with their parents from uh, another group. You know, and you just sort of feel the buzz, and you knew a state championship was in town. Now, uh, I, I love that, like most people do when you get all these visitors coming to town. Now, I noticed here there was a figure that got released here as well, because I'd like to talk probably more about the figure um, and why council and how council comes up with these figures. Now, what they're saying here is that over the three days of the championships, that they actually injected $1.8 million into this town. Now, I know you're a smart man. I know you're pretty good with maths. Did you come up with this figure? or <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we get to this figure of $1.8 million? I'll come to that in a moment, but it was good to see this is the under-14s mm. New South Wales Rugby Championships that were held, and male and female, so that was great to see. And I went up and watched the female final and a bit of the male final had to help present the trophy mm. for the females, for example. Central Coast won that, well done, to a regional yeah, team. Yeah, so they have... the city science. That's right, they have a, a regional pool, if you like, so they, they go through all the regions, compete against each other, then they have a winner of that, and they have the Metro, and they compete mm. and win that, and then the Metro winner versus the regional winner. So, oh, did they? Oh, all, they do it? Yeah, okay, always right. good to see the regional winner come Absolutely. out of the top. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were pretty excited with that. country cousins beat the city boys. Exactly right. And so I was, I was very happy to hand over the trophy to the regional ladies there, the regional young oh, girls. Outstanding. So that was fantastic, but I spoke to, I sat in the, the crowd, sat in the grandstand and moved around and talked to a few mm. different random people there. What did you think? How did you go? Mm. And the first thing they all talked about with the grounds up at Apex mm. Oval, because they've got the surrounding mm. grounds there. They couldn't believe the standard of the grounds. A bit like the touch footy. Mm. Wow, the grounds are so good. Yep. These are fantastic. Who do you get in to do them? All that sort of comment. Yep. Yep. They're a bit surprised when our staff can manage to put on those fantastic fields. <laughs> but I wanted to hear more about yes. the rest of the place. Yeah. I didn't hear anyone say, oh, I was really scared that I might get broken yeah. into. Yes. <laughs> really scared my car would be stolen. But they did talk about the restaurants, Mm. A lot of them were a bit surprised about just how much vibrancy they felt in the community. Mm. Now, a long mm. weekend, if you're going to oh, show off your community. Last weekend, <laughs> that's that's right. Absolutely. It's the best time to do it. Yeah. But they were really impressed with a whole range of things. But let's get on to the numbers. Mm. There's a few things that we do to come up with some of these numbers. Okay. And I actually find it quite fascinating. So one of the things we do is that we talk to the banks. And when I say talk to the banks, we do pay money to the banks and, and usually one bank in particular right. at the moment. One of the things that has changed, obviously, recently is that not many people use cash anymore. Mm. Most mm. transactions that are happening in an area mm. are happening via a FPOS terminal yes. or maybe… Well, cashless society. It is, but, it? Yes. but even if you are using cash, you might go to an ATM to get some cash out. Mm. You don't take all the money out in wherever you come from before mm. you travel somewhere. You might mm. get it out as you need it. So we then can say to a bank, can you give us the amount of money spent in Dubbo through FPOS and ATMs over this period of time, mm. for example, June long, long weekend yeah, last year, yeah. and then I want to see the increase or the differential for this weekend so uh, we can actually do some direct comparisons. Now, what we can do with that, good. it might be one bank, for example, yep. then we might say that bank has 32% market share. Yep. If X dollars were spent extra, then take that market share and then extrapolate mm, that out mm. to give you an approximate yep. number. Yep. So we do it at one level yep. using that. Now, we don't do that for every weekend, for every tournament, but just to give us a gauge. Is that your main gauge then in how you get this figure? Or that, that is one gauge. Okay. We also then do some surveys of motels, for example. Okay. What increase did you have as a result of whatever event we might yep. have on? Yep. What did they spend? And then we do some surveys of people themselves. Oh, okay. How much money did you spend during the weekend? What did you spend it on? What, motels? the staff wander around to the grounds or what happens there? It'll be more through the visitor centre. So when oh, people come to the visitor centre, okay. we figure they're a visitor. Yep. Hey, would you like to fill in this survey for us? Sure yep. thing. So we get the data from a variety of areas. Yeah, nice. Out of all of that data, yep. 
we then come up with a number that's an estimation of what one person yeah, in right. Dubbo for one night injects into our economy. Yeah, right. And the number we have, again, approximately is $200. Okay. So when anything is going to be brought to Dubbo, yep. we say if that event brings one person for one night, there's $200 extra in the economy. Yep. We probably wouldn't get that excited about that for one person. But then we multiply it out. Mm. So in this particular event, rugby, New South Wales rugby told us, yeah. they'd have a 1,000 players. And that's yep. pretty easy for them to work out because they know how many teams they've got, yes. how many people per team, etc. So there's a 1,000 players. Yes. Then we've got some data we've got to use as an estimation from rugby mm-hmm. or any event coming. How many people do they bring with them? Mm. Well, when you're 14, you can't mm. jump in the car and drive no, out to that right. event. So you've got to have at least one person. But normally, as a 14-year-old, yeah. you've got... Mum, dad and the kids. Correct. You've got parents. You've got guardians. Very unusual for you not to have two people come with you. But then siblings, a lot of these people have got siblings. So we might use a figure of two and a half, three, depending on the exact Mm. event and how old they might be. Then we check that every now and again because we've got another tool that we can use where we can actually count unique mobile phones. Oh, it's getting rather clever and techno-y. It's very cool. Yeah. Again, we pay for this, so we don't right. do it every time, every weekend. But a major event like this, it's worthwhile investing in. Well, we do it every now and again just to check our numbers, just mm. to make sure that the estimations we're making are still correct. I'm not sure if you remember the light castles by Aness that was on display at the front of Old Dubbo Jail. Yes, I do. Yes. As part of that funding, for example, we got funding from the state government for right. that. Yeah. We actually needed to say in that funding that we would actually have an accurate count, so we did a mobile phone count, and we had certain triggers there, a mobile phone, an IME, so not someone's mobile phone number, the serial number of their phone, Mm. when it spent more than a certain amount of time, I think it was two minutes, Mm. at this particular location, Mm. we're counting them that they've gone and visited this particular place. So it gives you that sort of data. And then if they came back the next day, did we count that or not? So you can actually narrow it down. So you can get unique people that have come to an area for a long weekend, Mm. or if it was just going and visiting some display, but Mm. we don't care if the same person comes back three times in three days, that's still another visitor. Yes, absolutely. So you use that sort of data. Now, just for anyone worried out there, we don't have individual names or individual phone numbers out of that. We're not sitting here searching through this and getting fine-tuned data information or anything like that. We're not going to say, Jane, you were there at that particular exhibit three times over the weekend. What were you doing there? (laughs) But the data is all anonymous data, and it's not even our data. We actually Mm. pay our company to collect that data for us. But you can do a bit of a check through that Mm. process. So in this particular one, we made a conservative estimate that a 1,000 players mm. came along and then they would bring two people. Mm. Now, that was probably conservative. Mm. It was probably more. And, and I'd when imagine I, so, especially for 14-year-olds. Yeah. When yeah. I spoke to one of the organisers, he actually said to me that definitely they would use three people in their mm. internal numbers, but we were mm. conservative. So we said 3,000 people. Then they were here for three nights. So typically they came out Thursday night because the game started Friday. Yeah. Uh, no, other way around. Sorry, they came out Friday night because the game started Saturday. So they were here for Saturday, Sunday, Monday for the game. So yep. they're here Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Yep. Pretty simple maths from there. Yes. 3,000 people, three nights, 9,000 bed nights, I'd call that. Yes. Multiply that by 200 yep. and you get about 1.8 million. Mm. Now, if you did all the tracking of all that information with all the other tools that we had there, I reckon it would come out plus or minus 10%. Yep. But it gives you a gauge about that. That's fabulous, isn't it? It is. Like the fact that here we are, so we're talking roughly around about $2 million in probably conservative forms, has been invested into the Dubbo community last weekend from outside groups coming in for a, a wonderful state carnival. Now, here's the really tricky part. Mm. Council, sometimes, well, more often than not, would be asked to contribute in some way, shape or form to an event like that. Mm. Now, it might be 
in ground preparation. It might be in foregoing any fees. They might pay for ground hire. Sometimes they'll ask for a cash injection, mm. but there'll be some cost to council. Yep. So the community in general would say, sure thing, council, pay for that event. That's really good for our economy, but council doesn't get any return out of that. So mm. it's taking money off our bottom line. It's taking your ratepayer money mm. and using it to bring an event here, which is good for the community, mm. good for Dubbo. Mm. The main beneficiaries are the people involved in the hospitality industry, people like moteliers, cafes, restaurants, pubs, clubs. They're the main beneficiaries. Mm. They typically don't have to pay anything extra for that. They might be asked to sponsor something sometimes, but mm. typically they're getting the benefits. But you as a ratepayer, you're paying for it. So mm. that's the real challenge we have, and we've mm. talked about it before. Yes, we have. That's it. When an NRL club says, can we have $350,000 mm. from council to bring an event We've done it in the mm. past, obviously, yeah. as we've talked about before. Yep. But we say there's $350,000 and let's see, it's an afternoon game, a Sunday afternoon game. You're going to play at, say, 3 o'clock. Yep. People are going to travel from the region yep. to be here and they watch the game and then they get in their car and they drive back home. Mm. So Where's the benefit for us as a community? Yeah? We don't yep. even get one night out of it. Now, not yeah. saying that we still don't want games like NRL games. I love when we have things like that. Mm. But in terms of what's the best outcome, what's yeah, the best bang right. for your buck in terms of community outcomes, yep. a rugby championship with Three a thousand days, players. thousand people, <laughs> two million dollars injected in the economy. That's it's right. hard to argue against. And the cost to council of that might have been, I don't have an exact figure, but yeah. it might have cost us in what we had to help out with that. Yeah. Might have been 10 grand, maybe so 20 grand. So they never ask for any sort of money up. Sometimes like some they do. Done, yeah, some, some groups do. So the bowls tournament we've talked about, yes. that's going to cost council $15,000. Mm. But that's $15,000 for mm. something that will be millions of dollars injected into the economy yeah, for yeah. the number of people it will have and the, the length of time it takes. Do you know anything about this championship? Is it going to be here again next year? or is No, there... good question. Yeah. I normally like to make, when they ask me to say a few words about it, I normally like to make the announcement slightly tongue-in-cheek but also put a bit of pressure on them about how much I'm looking forward to seeing it hosted here again next year. Yes, yes. And the organiser normally is over in the corner going, oh, wait up, we haven't made a decision about next year yes, yet. Yes. But speaking to the organiser, or there's, I'm sure there's more than one, but the main organiser I was dealing with, he certainly said that he would be back here every single year if it was just his choice, yeah. loves it, the event's been very successful. We've had other ones before. I think there was an under-13 ones right, out here before. Yes. There's other championships we've held out here. Yeah. So he would love to be here every year. We'll obviously put in for it. We'll obviously pitch for it. But it gets yeah. a bit competitive. Oh, I can imagine. Various yeah, yeah. local government areas are saying... I, I noticed Port Macquarie had one and I think someone on the Central Coast had one as well. So yeah. they, they see the benefits as well. Bring them over to us. And, yeah, and that's yeah. when I get a bit disappointed because you feel like you're in a bidding war then. Yeah. Each local government area, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you 20 grand to come to us. No, no, we'll pay you 30 grand. I don't know that's the best use of community money mm. in a bidding war. Mm. I think the best way we can attract those is to say, look at how successful it was last time. Look at what a great job we did working with you for your players and coaches yeah. and parents, etc. The best thing for you to do is to bring it to That's the hard sell I normally give. Yeah. So I don't know about next year. Certainly, we would love to be here Sounds again like next year. Sounds like we're running, though, for a, a good opportunity to get them back again, which That's would be right. fabulous. And our staff do a great job in trying yeah. to attract these events. Sometimes we'll go and chase them. Sometimes they'll knock on our door. But again, I, I suppose I want to put it out there as well that we will certainly have an NRL game here again one day in the future. I just want to say to people that events like this mm. are great for the community. Mm. Events like an NRL game are great for the profile of Dubbo, mm. but they don't put anywhere near the same amount of money. In fact, they cost us money. We know mm. we made a loss on the last event that was out here, for example, $67,000 mm. from memory. Mm. So it costs the community money. And every now and again, 
I can live with that. But day in, day out, mm. I'd prefer to see these sort of events, cricket, yeah. bowls, soccer, yep. rugby, touch footy, all these Which sort of events. Which just adds so much vibrancy to the town as well, don't they, when they come? It's Absolutely just so right. good to see. Yeah. I'm at uh, Philippine Independence Day. Now, uh, on the weekend, looks like uh, you made your way across to a flag-raising ceremony. Now, the thing that really strikes me with this is the fact that the, uh, the Vice Consul, Francis Louisa C. Cleophus, am I right with that? I just called her the Vice Consul. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the safest move out, I'd say. <laughs> now, she came out, and it was for the 125th Philippine Independence Day. Now, I was a bit worried there when you started to say that. I thought you were about to say you made your way across to the Philippines. I was so. going to say so. <laughs> went across the Philippines and back in one week. So, but so tell me, this is here in Dubbo. This was on the weekend. They had a flag raising ceremony here. Um, tell me about this. Have we got a big Philippine community here in town? Or? We've got a reasonable sized Philippines community, but right. we've also got a very good president of the Irana Region Filipino Australian Association. Who obviously has some sway if he's got the vice consul to come out. Exactly right. And his name's Vic Avila. And he's been involved, well, for as many years as I can remember, but a great community that he's put together there, and they've got a great committee, very active in the community. Mm. And this is the type of thing. For this, we didn't pay anything. It was something that we just organised for mm. them. They said, and I've done it for many Where years Where was it now, In the car park of the Dubbo Regional Council Civic Admin Building. So it doesn't sound that exciting, but, but we've got flagpoles there. Oh, so they want to do a flag raising. Well, I know it does. That's a pretty strange. nice spot. We can add that, but, <laughs> but the car park. We bring some chairs out. We put them yes, right. out there. Okay, have a, a microphone set up, and yep. basically they come out. And so normally there'll be someone like the vice consul will come out. This year, 125th, that's significant, obviously. Right. But there's a good crowd that turns up. There would yeah. have been over 100 people that turned oh, up wow. for this event. Yeah. And Great day on Saturday, too. It was beautiful weather. Beautiful weather, beautiful mm. weather. In fact, the Vice Consul has only been in Australia since December last year. Right. So this is the first winter. Obviously, this, the, the Philippines is a little bit warmer yes, than, so. than here in, in <laughs> Sydney and, and Dubbo. In the middle of wherever we are right now. And she did tell me that she was checking the weather before she came out, and she was seeing single-digit figures, one, two degrees. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> for when her plane was... <laughs> about to land, so she's a bit worried about that. But then when she landed, she realised it was a nice mm. still day. There wasn't much wind, and even yes. though it was a bit chilly, yep. the sun was shining. She thought it was absolutely magnificent. Yeah. So her first visit to Dubbo, she was very active on on Saturday. All day Saturday had activities. All day Saturday, Saturday night, and went oh, back so on so Sunday. They put on big, uh, big shindigs. So a whole range of things, a whole range yeah. of activities. But one of the things that I love about this is, yes, 125 years ago they declared the Philippines declared their independence from Spain on the 12th of June. Mm. And I did make comment when I gave a speech to the group there that I love the idea that they don't just celebrate this on one day. Mm. They have the month of June. Oh, is that what it is? There are activities around the nation, around Australia, all through the month of June. So the 12th of June doesn't matter if you're not on that day. As long as sometime in the month of June, and the the Vice Consul said that she's been visiting various places already and been a range of places and they will have all these different celebrations. So last weekend there was one in Bathurst, for example. Mm. The equivalent of Vic in Bathurst was here mm. in Dubbo on, mm. the, on the weekend yep. to help celebrate here. So it's really a, a fairly simple ceremony. The Vice Consul speaks, I speak, yeah. talk about Philippine independence and talk about the Filipino community here in Dubbo. Yes. I also talk a little bit about the fact that it's not just the Filipino community, mm. but it's the multicultural community we have mm. in Dubbo. Uh, we've Which now is growing, isn't it? You know? Growing, absolutely right. We're now at 18.5% wow. of our population that so were born overseas. Really a fifth of our population now, isn't it? Almost? That's right. And it's not 
back when I used to do citizenship ceremonies 10 or 12 years ago, mm. they were from England, New Zealand, maybe the US, and then a smattering of mm. some Indian, Nepalese type countries. Yes. Now, easily, number one, every time I'm doing citizenship, seems to be India, mm. Nepal's up there, Bangladesh is up there. Mm. The subcontinent, isn't it? It's, it's exactly right. It's huge. And mm. you do get, obviously, Philippines is in there as well. And then it's almost a bit of a surprise. Hold on, there's someone from the UK. What, yeah, what's happening right. there? So it's certainly changed quite dramatically. Mm. But you get some nice stories. I had one lady come over and spoke to me, and she said, oh, hi, Matthew, I've got a photo of you on my mantelpiece. Oh, I said, that's oh, lovely. Admirer out there. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, but she told me the story about eight years ago, I was presiding over the citizenship ceremony right. where she was made a citizen. Yep. So for her, that was quite significant, and still... Well, she's still got my photo up there, obviously, so for her it was quite significant. <laughs> You're there, Elvis, next to you. There it is, you know, maybe the Pope on the other side. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask for the other photos. <laughs> uh, but again, they feel like they're part of the Dubbo community, which is mm. fantastic. But I do mm. really enjoy the various activities we undertake here in Dubbo, learning about cultures, learning about other parts of the world. Absolutely. Now, we've had diplomatic relations with the Philippines for about 77 years now. Okay, here what, Australia. here in Dubbo, have we? Or? Oh, in Australia. So in Australia, okay. Official diplomatic relations. So that's significant as well. Mm-hmm. So, again, you're just learning about other areas mm-hmm. of the world. You're learning about their cultures, their backgrounds. Yeah. You're learning about things that happen in a whole range of different ways. So I really love that about our community. We are a melting pot. Yes. We open our arms to people from all over the world. But we also have respect for their culture yes. and have respect for some of their traditions like having a, a flag yes. raising ceremony. Yes. So and embrace it as part of our culture. Exactly yeah. right. And you might think there was only Filipino or only the Filipino community there mm. today uh, at the, the ceremony on Saturday, sorry. But without a doubt, you'll see at any of those celebrations, you'll see a range of people that are forever Dubbo people, people that mm. lived in Dubbo forever, mm. people that have been in Dubbo for 10 years, people from other cultures. So we had people that were long-term Dubbo residents. We mm. had people that have been multi-generational Dubbo. We had people from India there, for example. So a whole range what of a people. wonderful day for There was someone yeah, from Syria there. Yeah, so anyway, very nice. And I, I really do enjoy those days where we learn about different cultures that are right here in Dubbo. Oh, that's brilliant. i got a feeling that uh, looking at this little agenda here, you must have spent a fair bit of time in Canberra during the week. Um... So you went down to Canberra during the week, spent a couple of days from the looks of things because there was a couple of dinners you attended, there was uh, a general assembly you attended, there's some meetings you've attended. Uh, you, you, get to, you got to catch up with a guy by the name of Saul Griffith who I've read a little bit about and uh, an amazing guy. So, look, rather than me sort of breaking it down to these little areas, you can maybe give me a bit of a, bit of a rundown of your time away in Canberra during the week. So the first thing is the Australian Local Government Association, ALGA, mm-hmm. holds each year a thing called the National General Assembly. Right. Sounds very important. It sounds very official. It's right. The National General Assembly. Correct. Now there you, are f- you wear special outfits for that? or It's called a suit, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there are 537 councils across the nation. Right. And they all attend? They're all, well, just about. We wow. get a pretty good roll-up of councils there. Yeah. I would have to say it'd be getting up close to the 500 number of different councils wow, represented. That's great. Yeah. And mainly it's the mayors and general managers from those yeah. councils go. Occasionally a, a councillor will go. But yeah. So it's what happens really, at this meeting? Well, a whole range of things. So there's, there's one part of it, this is the General Assembly, it's like a conference. Mm. There's another part that they've reintroduced, the new federal government's reintroduced, which used to happen many years ago, called the Australian Council of Local Government, Mm -hmm. and that's another one-day conference where really we just hear from a number of ministers, Mm. have a panel, we can ask questions, that type of thing. Mm. Uh, But there's a few things that happen at the conference, like many conferences, you have 
presenters mm. on different topics who talk to us about things that are happening. Yep. You have panels of people that put some views forward about some different things that are occurring. Mm. And one thing that's different about local government conferences to every other conference I've been to mm. is you also debate some motions. Oh, 500 people debating a motion. <laughs> it's, it's, as, it's as tricky as you think. My goodness me. It's hard enough getting probably three or four people to debate a motion. So imagine a council meeting Who I suggest very steroids. opinionated people, 500 people in that space there, yes. And they're all pushing something for their local community. Uh, no, they're pretty good. Agendas, yes. they're, they're pretty good looking at big picture. So, for example, we've got the Australian Local Government Association that we want to represent our views to the federal government. What are our views? Well, our views are determined by the motions brought forward and the debate that occurs. Wow. So just like a council meeting, you submit your notices of motion. Right. Councils around the state, yep. or around, sorry, the nation, yep. can submit their notices of motion, and then they go onto the agenda, and then they're all debated. D- does everybody get a chance to speak? Like 500 people? Like, how does it work? Normally, you'll have the move of the motion, you'll have maybe someone talking in the other direction about it, but mm. it's usually limited to a few people. Okay. And then there's a procedural process where someone says, I move the motion to be put. Yep. And if that occurs, every all debate stops, and then there's a vote on whether the vote should be put. Right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Right. You can do that at council meetings as well, but it's yes. very rarely utilised. Yes. Did you have someone standing up the front sort of uh, controlling all of this? Correct. Or? You have the president of the... Uh, Alga, so there's a woman named Linda Scott who's right. on Sydney City Council. She's president at the moment, so she runs it as if she was the mayor running a council meeting. So, <laughs> yeah. Pretty fair size for council meeting, yes. Pretty it's good. a fascinating process, but yeah. a few things, just to summarise a few things out of all of that. So yeah, this, yeah. this went for several days, and again, several dinners there that we attended, different size dinners. There's one that was just regional cities, New South Wales, and regional capitals Australia mm. dinner, so there were probably only about 30 people at that one, mm. to a dinner that had pretty much every attendee there to another dinner that pretty much had every mayor there. So a few different sized dinners along the way. Excellent. But a few things for me. One of the highlights I saw in one of the presentations, Mm. again, a number of presentations, but Saul Griffith Yes, I've heard of this guy. He's he's fascinating. So tell us a little bit about Saul Griffith. So he's got a concept that he talks about, about electrifying the nation. Mm. And when he talks about electrifying the nation, it's really look at all the energy that a household uses in – petrol and gas and electricity. And if you took all that and just converted it to everything being run with electricity, that would mean no more gas for your stove, Mm. use electricity. Mm. No more gas for any heating, whether it be pool or whether it be a house, all electricity. No more petrol or diesel for your car, all electricity. Mm. What would it do? Mm. And what I love about Saul's presentation and the way he focuses on things, it's very much based around data. It's Mm. not, hey, that'd be a good idea. Would it work? Oh, I don't know. Let's give it a go. Mm. He's broken it all down to mm. show how positive it would be for the economy. Mm. Now, this guy's given advice to Joe Biden. He's been That's an advice to Joe yes, Biden. Yes. So, so he's an he, Australian fellow too, this bloke. Yeah, isn't he? yeah, he is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me, in regards to the let, – let's sort of step back a little bit. So the connection with the Joe Biden thing is important because this where he gets, I suppose, uh, you know, his logos, his sense of credentials um, in a guy like this. So now he was a guy who – presented to uh, Biden before he came into power, and then once he got into power as well, about obviously the sort of stuff we're right into and, and talk about on a regular basis as a group in regards to, you know, these are the ways we can save the planet. Um, so what's what's his now connection here with Australia again? Are the Australian government got him on board? Well, I, I don't think so at the moment. He's decided to move back to Australia, was in America mm. for a while, and that's great. I think he did that from a lifestyle choice. Loves Australia. As mm. you said, he's an Aussie to begin with. Mm. So I think he's really just going and talking and trying to influence, but I don't think he's got any official role. Okay. But when you sit there and listen and watch him go through 
the data, you say, well, it's bleedingly obvious. Mm. I did find it fascinating, though, because sitting in the conference, you're surrounded by people, and I'd heard a few comments from people around me that thought this guy was out of his mind, he oh, lost okay. the plot. So, so, so it wasn't a general consensus, he was on the right track? Th- there was a majority, okay. but certainly there were still some pockets that I heard, and even after that particular presentation, one of the great things I find about conferences is you get to talk to people and mm. hear their opinions and mm. discuss different things, and a few people said to me, gee, that's all Griffith, he's lost the plot, hasn't he? And I went, well, did you read the data? So... Mm. Whether you love Saul Griffith or think he's a complete lunatic, the data was pretty obvious and the data was all very positive. So I think mm. the way we're going from a council perspective, the steps we're taking, I, I did talk to him afterwards mm. about a few different things and just some of the steps that we're taking and he was pretty impressed with where we're up to in, in terms mm. of our council. But I think many of those steps that we're taking and the opportunity, and I talk often about our renewable energy zone mm. and the opportunities that that presents for us yeah. And I see that probably it reinforced what we're doing at council now, just mm-hmm. looking at that talk, because he did talk about the economics of all this. Because some people mm-hmm. think, oh, no, if I go and convert my household to electricity with everything, mm-hmm. gee, it's going to cost me a lot of money. But when you break it down, he showed how much it will save the average household. Mm-hmm. There's a slight caveat there. And he said this is part of the problem where people don't do it. There might be an upfront cost. Mm-hmm. You change your stove over from gas to an induction cooktop. Mm. That costs you money. Mm. You'll get the savings over the next five years or 10 years, but you had to fork out the money in the first place. You change your car over Mm. from petrol to electric. Well, we know we've got a report that went through council that shows Mm. without any shadow of a doubt over a four-year time frame, that's cheaper for you. But you still got to pay for it up front. Mm. Mm. And so one of the things that Saul talked about was what you can do effectively is replace some of these costs, these ongoing costs, mm. i.e. gas, petrol, etc., with finance. Mm. So you, you're really saying, let's take those bits of costs, replace them with some interest costs and some finance, and you'll still be way in front. So yes. That, yes. that was all interesting and fascinating. So that Absolutely. was one of the, the fascinating ones I found. And actually, interesting, uh, picking up on that in regards to it as well, like, you talk to, uh, looks like here, uh, the Honourable Chris Bowen MP, so he's the Minister here for uh, Climate Change, and as well as for Energy. Now, this is one of the dinners had a chance to talk to him. So picking up in regards to the chat there with Saul Griffiths in regards, did you get a chance to get in his ear in regards to what we need out here? Absolutely. That's And that's one of the events. So there was a dinner. Beautiful. The Prime Minister came along, talked to us. It was, oh, was, okay. was, was like a pop star. There was a lineup of people for oh, photos really? with the Prime Minister. Oh, is that right? And he even said that. He said, I did feel a bit like a pop star <laughs> or a rock star. People lined up to have a photo yeah, with, yeah. with the Prime Minister. But there were a few. Did you get one done with him just very quickly? Uh, I didn't. Right. I, I kind of. I thought yes. I thought no. Uh, it's more you want to grab the opportunities where you can actually get in their ear. Yes. Having a photo and that's it. You kind of go, mm, "Well, mm. did that achieve anything for Dubbo? Mm. Didn't really mean much." So yeah. I'd, I'd rather Chris? get the opportunity. I did a photo with Chris because yes. I did talk to Chris for a while. So yes. Yes. I sat down with Chris and just talked to him about our renewable energy zone. Mm. I don't know how much they know about what's happening with the states, mm. but I did talk about the fact that it's important for the federal government to solve the energy problem. Mm. And I said, Dubbo is a part of the problem. Mm. But, sorry, part of the solution, not part of the problem, part mm. of the solution, mm. and talked about that. And he was pretty interested in that. And it's not every time you sit down with a minister and they say, well, give me a business card, let me follow up on that. So oh, he okay. actually said, yep. give me a card, I want to follow up with some of this because it's some really good opportunities Did out you get there a chance to raise anything like you know, financial compensation in regards to what we're obviously putting in in our region and how we are struggling right now to, sort of, to really find a, a benchmark figure for this? Well, there was probably – I didn't go to that level. I, I actually went more for the infrastructure. So mm. I talked more about, we're going to help you out, Chris, the federal government, 
by making sure that we can help electrify the nation. Yeah. What we'd like in return, from your perspective, is make sure that the infrastructure matches. So our mm. roads or, for example, in this renewable energy zone, Warren Bungleshire Council, they're focused on getting an upgrade to their water treatment plant mm. and sewage treatment plant, mm. or they've got multiples of those, yep. for the population that will be needed out in this area. So yep. if all the construction work that occurs happens and then they walk away yep. and Warren Bungleshire Council's got some new sewage and water treatment plants, they'll yes. say, well, that was a victory for us. So yep. the infrastructure looks different. And I think that's probably mm. where the federal government can play a really important role yes. as well, making sure that infrastructure is right. Yep. And the individual compensation, I suppose I'm probably going to focus more on the states mm. and the proponents for that side of it, because mm. that's getting down to a level of detail that maybe the federal government doesn't mm. need to be at. Mm. But talk in general terms, but also got the, the chance to say the acronym REAC. Oh, yes. Oh, good. You got it up to the uh, to the, the minister on this one. Okay. Exactly right. As many times as you Excellent. can, you talk to it about All right. People. What was his reaction to the REAC? I love the idea, but again, no commitment to it, obviously. Yes. Didn't say, let me sign the dotted line and hand over $5 million to go and build it, but yes. certainly talk about it as much as you can. So... Talk to Chris Bowen, talk to Catherine King, who's a very important minister for us. She's the Minister for Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Local Government. Yep. But also got a chance when I spoke to Catherine King to put in a little plug for Christy McBain. Now, Christy mm-hmm. McBain, we probably deal with more. Christy McBain's a Minister for Regional Development, Local Government and Territories. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a crossover there with Is Christy. It, aren't they the same sort of ministries? <laughs> kind of, yeah. And I get the feeling the way Is that she works. Is a junior minister or something? Or? That's, that's my impression, that okay. Christy seems to have had more interaction with us at a council level. But I was wildly impressed one day mm. when Christy rang me out of the blue mm. and said, hi, Matthew, and this is towards the end of last year, yeah. how are you going with some of the flooding in Dubbo? Yeah. And I gave her a five-minute overview of yeah. what was happening at the time. And I said, Christy, first of all, I wasn't sure it was her because, you yeah, know, it's yeah. all yeah. it's Christy, but are you sure it is? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was like convinced Bart it was her. one of those prank calls. That's yeah, right, that's yeah. right. And so then I said, so, Christy, and I'm not being rude with this, but mm. is there anything else I can help you with? Mm. Or was that what you're ringing for? She says, no, no, I was just ringing a few of the mayors that are involved in some of the flooding and see how wow. they're going. And I went, well, That's pretty cool. let me tell you this, I'm pretty impressed with that. Yeah. So we chatted for five or ten more minutes. It was yeah. only a, probably a 15-minute phone call, yeah. but it was particularly impressive yeah. that you did that. And Catherine King, who, again, I get the feeling is the senior yes. in this relationship, I actually, yes. when I sat down and talked to Catherine, I said, let me just tell you a quick story about Christy, and I told mm. her that story. Mm. And Catherine said, wow. That's impressive. I knew that she was doing that, but I'm impressed that it made such a good impression yeah. on the various mayors. I also didn't forget to mention to Christy that I'd been talking to Catherine <laughs> about that <laughs> and gave her a good plug in. Throw it. a couple more races in the back pocket there. <laughs> That's right. So I she was she, later was, on. she was quite happy that I'd given her a plug. So that was great. I had a bit of a chat to Tony Burke as well. Probably not as much to do with some of the things that are directly focusing us mm. or facing us at the moment. He's the Minister for Employment, Workplace Relations and the Minister for the Arts. Yep. Talked to him about the Arts Award here in Dubbo. He was impressed with that. That's all good. So, again, you get those sort of opportunities. But even individually, when you're talking to other mayors mm. across the state, across the nation, mm. you sit down at dinner. Hi, where are you from? Oh, mm. Port Hedland. All oh, right. What are your issues at the moment? Yeah. Those sort of conversations. Yeah. But I did talk to another mayor from another council area, and he actually said to me, I've heard you've been having a bit of talk about a crime summit. I oh, said, really? Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I said, yeah. yeah. He said, yeah, I saw a bit in the news. He said, we had one of those about a year ago because people were jumping up down about crime. He said, complete waste of time. Don't yeah. waste your time on it. Don't yeah. do it. And I went, well, thank you. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's ultimately not my decision. It's yeah. a council decision whether it happens But it's good or not. to see the fact, though, that, that this is happening across the board from the point of view, these discussions through the media or social media or whatever. Yeah. This is where it sort of moves to. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, I think it's a good week. Mm. Well, it wasn't quite a week, but it was 
Tuesday I flew over there, flew back Friday night. Yeah, big week though. Big week, lots of discussions, lots of dinners, lots of different people I mm. met with. I did find there was a group of councils, very amusing, in some of the debates that were occurring, there were a group of councils or councillors from Sydney councils who were a bit horrified by the fact that people that were having wind farms and solar farms put up might be getting some payment to those council areas and they were concerned about the increase in electricity prices for people in Sydney. Oh, well, they did them. <laughs> were they now? From these so, regional so, areas. So they're basically sitting back saying, right, um, you can have all the wind farms and do all that sort of stuff for us in the energy sector out there, but don't benefit from it if that means extra prices for us sitting in here on our eastern suburbs beaches. You've hit the nail on the head. Right. And what we did do... Did after that sound those... cynical enough? I hope it did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually thought, well... They probably don't understand the full impact of all of this. Mm. So I spoke to a group of councillors from one particular council and said, look, I heard what you had to say in some of those debates and some of the motions that were being discussed. You know what? I'd love to see you go on a study tour and come out to Dubbo. And I actually sat oh, down yeah, beside well the Broken Hill Mayor at dinner one mm. of the nights and we talked about something similar. And I said, and I know the Broken Hill Mayor is pretty keen as well, so why don't you get some inner Sydney councils, Yes, do a little study tour, Come and visit Dubbo. We'd yeah. host you here. We'd show you around, just show you yeah. what we're doing and how things are operating here. Yeah. And then I know Broken Hill Mayor would love you to fly out to Broken Hill, have a look around there as well. I think it'll be a fascinating couple of days. Let me for just you. try to reaffirm the fact the kangaroos are still bouncing down the main street on our <laughs> gravel surfaces. Yes. That's right. And make sure you, you bring enough two minute noodles for you because you right. won't be able to buy them from a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if we can educate some of those people Absolutely. in Sydney. And I, and I say this with some respect. Mm-hmm that I think people in Sydney are often ignorant. And mm. I don't mean it to be completely insulting. I know it sounds completely insulting. No, but they no, just, I, it's, it's, I think your comment before, I think, affirms where we're sitting. Well, they just, I think some people in Sydney haven't been exposed to regional areas. Mm. They think everyone's a farmer. They think that, I mean, I often get the, the joke when people say, oh, how much land have you got out there? And I say, well, about 2,000 square metres. And you can see them calculating, going, it's 200 square metres. It's trying to work metres. Well, that's right. Well, where do you grow on that? And I said, oh, my Kaikuyu is not too bad, you know. I've got a pretty good crop in of Kaikuyu at the moment. Uh, it's going to be... lush out the front there right now. Right. So it's that sort of impression. Mm. Everyone's yes. a farmer. They don't realise, say, Dubbo Regional Council, LGA, for example, yes. only 2.5% of our employment is in the farming sector. Mm. We've got health and social services. We've got retailers, number yes, two. Yes. We've got public admin. We've got education. Yeah. We've got manufacturing. We've got oh, construction. Oh, I love the fact you've invited them to come out and see this, the fact that, you know, it, it's it's a bit like a scenario. Let's go out and see our little brother out there because he might be struggling sort of thing where he's come out here and all of a sudden a little brother's about six foot four towering over the top of the room. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? I think it's a bit <laughs> like that. So I think they might be a bit surprised. I hope they do come. They've got my card. They may do something with it. Who knows? But I would absolutely love it if they actually came out and we could show them what's happening out here. Excellent. Matt, coming up this week, uh, I noticed the fact there is a council meeting. Just sort of notice here on the agenda, I find this interesting little one, so you might be able to clarify something here for me. But on the agenda as part of the discussion is the Drug Rehab Centre. Look... I suppose my question to you is, 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 why is this on the agenda? Like, this is, uh, isn't this a state government issue? What, what, why is council here wanting and needing to discuss this? Because didn't council turn around and say, look, we've, we've put in the support of the community motion of the fact that uh, we're not happy where the current location has been asked to be put. They're in Spears Drive, and there was a location, and so the council's made that motion pretty clear, the fact they're not prepared to want to support that as an idea. Isn't that all that local council can do? So why is it back on the agenda? It's a really interesting question, and yes, we have got a council meeting on this Thursday. Encourage people to tune in online, come and sit in the public gallery, have a look at the papers and all the rest of it. So, 
Drug rehab, there's been a bit of discussion around this over the last month or so. We did have a council resolution from last month that formally said, we as a council on behalf of the community are against or oppose the location that's been announced for the drug rehab facility, which is in Spears Drive in West Dubbo. We also said that we were happy to work with Western Local Health District to find a more suitable location. So yep. happy to work with them, discuss them. The different so this has already of the been land. discussed, hasn't it? It's been put out there, public, bank, everyone knows this. And I've sent a letter on the basis of that particular resolution of council. I've sent a letter to the Minister for Health, Ryan mm-hmm. Park, and essentially said that, that we oppose the location as a courtesy of also CC'd Dougal Saunders, our local MP, and mm-hmm. we've also now got Stephen Lawrence, our local MLC. Mm-hmm. So not that an MLC specifically has an area, but but he's based in Dubbo, so yep. take advantage of that. Yep. So the state government is well and truly aware of our formal opposition to the location. Mm. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of where's council's involvement in this, how's council involved. This is a decision by the Department of Health or Western Local Health District would be the main driver of this, I would suggest. This would be a decision that the state government can make, can change. We as council, I would love to have the power to tell the state government what to do with a whole Mm. range of things. Unfortunately, we don't have the power. No. We have to control what we control. We've got the Local Government Act 1993 as amended to work under. Nowhere in that does it say council's responsible for health or council's responsible for drug rehab. Mm. We as a community, or sorry, as a council, mm. can represent the views of the community. So sometimes we might say, as we did with this particular case, our community is saying we don't approve that. Can you please change it? But we can't make them change it. There's nothing, there is absolutely nothing we can do whatsoever yep. that will make health change the location of that well, particular facility. you've pretty much done it you can, can't you? Like, literally, you've exhausted your options, haven't you? Well, and when you talk about the council meeting coming up, there was some discussion, and this has been in the media a little bit, and some discussion around, didn't council offer to give them some free land? Now, I'll get to the detail of that mm. in a moment, but let me go back a couple of steps from that. The state government has compulsory acquisition powers. Mm -hmm. If they need a parcel of land that's in the public good, they can't just take a bit of land because they feel like it, Mm. but if if there's a parcel of land that they want that they need because it's in the public good, whether it be your land, council's land, Billy Bob's land, Mm -hmm. they've got a process they can go through that they can have that land. Now, I would hope, and I'm confident this is the case, that the state government will look at all parcels of land and choose the best parcel. Now, obviously, from a do council perspective... Do they do this within any consultation with council, or is this their own decision again? Well, this is the problem. Mm. They did consult the community for some parcels of land, and then when they made the decision back in February for this particular parcel of land, it was made, well, I think, without enough consultation, but I'm probably going too far in my political commentary there. Mm. But certainly, officially, from a council perspective, from a community perspective, we don't think that that is a good location. In the middle of a residential area, Mm. the residents there are not happy about it, as you can fully understand. And so we're saying, on behalf of the community, those individuals can complain to the state government. We're also formally complaining. That really is as much as we can do. Now, there was some discussion around free parcels of land. Think about the cost of building a drug rehab. Think about the cost of running a drug rehab. The cost of a parcel of land in the whole scheme of things from the health department, is minimal. Mm. The the land parcel, you know, again, who knows what that might be worth, but we're talking about millions and millions of dollars to build a facility and millions of dollars to run the facility. Take a 10-year time frame for that yeah. facility, for example, the parcel of land to the state government might be 
0.5% or 1%. school sort of overall outlay compared to what the overall cost would be in the end, yes. Exactly right. Now, council of the, the day mm. made movements, said words, mm. to say that we'll give you a pass of land. But we've talked about this before. Mm. The power of a group of councillors is within a resolution of council. So, so can I just hold you up on that one for a second? So was this decision made at a council meeting? There was no decision made about promising a, a parcel of land at a council meeting. So there was no formal decision made by council to give specific options to New South Wales Health in regards to these options here for the drug rehab? No, and that's that's part of the, the problem that I have when, when some people have said, well, council promised they'd give land. They certainly indicated, they certainly talked about, but we've had discussion before about workshops. Mm. We have lots of workshops. We talk mm. about them often. We have a workshop on parcels of land. We have a workshop yep. on different direction. But that's a workshop. That's to discuss things. We might go through different working parties, different community working parties, different internal working parties. And all of that is great yep. and to get to a good decision. Yep. But it means nothing yep. until you've got the council resolution. Yep. And we talked about it before with the Duke of Wellington Bridge where there was a report that council had that recommended certain things be done to our riverbanks to protect mm. them. Mm. And one of those identified that was at risk was the riverbank leading up to, from the Bell River leading up to the Duke of Wellington Bridge. Mm. Mm. And some former councillors from the last council have said, well, no, we told the staff to go and get that fixed up. Mm. And I found a workshop where that was a discussion point, but nothing else after that. So again, there was no formal resolution made in regards to that by council. And our staff have to follow resolutions of council. Yeah. But at a workshop, well... Three of the councillors said do this, two said do that. Well, we can't go and do that. Even mm. if 10 councillors said we should go and do this, well, the staff can't act on that because if something happens in the other direction, mm. Mr. Staff Member, why did you go and do that? Oh, well, councillors had a chat to us at a workshop, but yep. hold on, where's the formal resolution? So what I've found... So sorry, buddy. So, so just to clarify a point then, so when the new council came in, was there any formal agreement that... Dubbo City Council had, or Dubbo Regional Council had, with New South Wales Health in regards to allotments of land? No. There was none? None. What I found, and again, there were people, the Mayor and councillors were talking about at the time, yes, yes, we'll promise parcels of land, but that's just yeah, cheap words. Absolutely. And what I found when I looked back through some old papers was on the 20th of August 2018, there was a social justice and crime prevention working party. That was an internal working party, mm -hmm. no external mm -hmm. members on that. And in that, they said, we should offer for consideration these parcels of land. So they identified four parcels of land in there. One was at North Bungle Gumby, yep. one was at Greengrove, one was at Pine Avon, which is out at Wongarbon, and another one was out at Council Corrie and Wongarbon. So there were four parcels of land. But again, this is during a workshop. This is not during a council meeting. That was during a working party. There would have been no public face to that. That would have mm. been an internal workshop, no streaming, no one yep. from the public was there. So we're banding about a few options here, really. That's right, talking about a few options. Then it went through to a council meeting. So a workshop would normally go through. Okay. The council meeting where that report was finally considered yep. was on the 24th of September 2018. Yep. And in that, what they did was they endorsed an alcohol and drug rehab business case. So the council put together yep. a business case. Yep. And As that, part of that business case, was that part of the, the options of these lands? So in that business case, so all they did in that is a council resolution that says, we endorse this business case. So you, you think, okay, well, in that business case, let's have a look at what's in that. Because effectively, 
once councils endorse that business case, mm. then everything in there is endorsed by council. Mind you, it was a confidential business case, mm-hmm. but there were some public parts of that as well. Yep. In that, I could not find any specific parcels of land mentioned in the yeah, business right. case. Okay. And no, obviously, council resolution to gift a parcel of land. In that business case, it did say, it had a table of what the costs might be mm-hmm. to various levels of government, state government, federal government, etc. Yep. And in there, it did make mention and said that council could potentially gift some land to the state government. Potentially. Potentially. Up Not to potentially. No, that's right. Up to $700,000, which... Okay. My personal opinion is, wow, that seems like a lot of money for council to give to the state government. We normally want it to go the other way. So I'm assuming if you put the word potentially, that would then need council to agree on that at some point in time. There would have to have been some sort of agreement at some point in time to make that a we will do this. But you're saying here, no, that would never happen, nor has it ever happened since. No. So potentially some land, no parcels of land identified in the business case. So you're kind of stringing a couple of bits together here. You're taking a working party meeting and looking at that to find out what the parcels are. Then you're taking a business case and say potentially develop. And even one of the wordings in in one of these documents I read Mm. said that we could offer land to state government. Again, it wasn't a resolution. Mm. Mm. But I could offer you a car. Mm. doesn't mean I'm going to sell you the car. Sorry, it doesn't mean I'm going to give you the car. Mm. So I could offer land to the state government and sell it to them. So that doesn't involve gifting as well. So there's a whole range of statements that are something along these lines. But again, no council resolution. On the back of all of that, yep. the state government had discussions with our staff based on here are some parcels of land because, again, the staff can have a bit of a discussion about some parcels of land because we've got this working party. But keep in mind, Mr State Government, we're not saying you can have this, but we'll have a bit of a discussion about it. Mm, mm. Are we going to sell it to you, give it to you? Look, here's some parcels. Let's have a talk about them. Let's see if we can help you. Yep. Three of those parcels were rejected by the state government. Okay. And they were rejected on the basis of the fact that they said at the 11th hour or, or sometime later in the process that it needed to be whatever facility it had needed to be within 10 minutes of the hospital. Yeah, right. Okay. So that kind of rules that anywhere a bit out of town, which yep. I think would be the logical place to put yep. this. I don't understand. I'm not the health department. It's their decision to make. Yep. The only one that they'd further considered was North Bungle Gumby Road. Now, that was 2018. Yep. Some of those discussions started. We've had discussions about the Northwest Precinct the residential development in Northwest Precinct. You've got council owned some land there. Other developers were developing that whole area. In April last year, one of the resolutions of council was the performance agreement for the CO. Mm-hmm. And in that, one of the performance indicators for the CO was we want this Northwest Precinct area developed fairly quickly because we've got a need for more land in Dubbo. Mm. And it probably should have been, to be fair, should have been further developed for residential already bit behind in our strategic planning, so let's go and make that happen. So on the back of that then, our staff talked to the state government and said, well, you know that North Bungle Gumby site mm. that you've talked about before? We've had some discussions around that. Nothing's ever happened out of it. Mm. But look, it's not really appropriate now because that's going to be Resident residential. Yep. So that's probably not that sensible. Yep. So just to make sure that everyone was comfortable, that everyone knew about that, yep. our staff brought forward a report to the 12th of May 2022 mm committee meetings, and in that they said, here's this parcel of land, it's kind of been discussed about, but we're going to withdraw it now, or we've withdrawn it from that being yep. on the table as a potential area, because it's not appropriate in a residential this area. This is at a committee meeting. This is at a committee meeting, so no yep. council resolution There's no council meeting, this is a committee meeting. 
And I was actually away for that committee meeting. I was at, in Sydney at Regional Cities New South Wales meeting. Yep. But there were nine councillors there. Yep. They discussed it. They yep. talked about it. And unanimously, they approved the fact that, yep. yes, let's move forward, look at other parcels of land, but yep. not that parcel of land. Again, yep. no resolution to gift, no resolution to go ahead. Yep. Then two weeks later, you had the council resolution. And as you fully understand, committee meetings, that's not a resolution of council. No. Go to the council meeting. That one then went through again. So there was another chance for people to discuss that at the time, for yep. councillors to discuss that. It went through again unanimously. I was back there chairing that meeting. Yep. So as far as our staff are concerned, well, we definitely don't consider North Bungalgumby. That's being developed for yep. residential. And but there's keep- your four options gone that were only ever discussed as options through just general discussions. Correct. Nothing ever went to a council meeting to formally put these presented as options to state health. Not one of them. And and the way I would see that would be, you might walk into my car dealership and I might say to you, Mark, I've got four cars. I've got red, green, blue, orange. Here are my four cars. And we're talking about them. It's, oh, yeah, I'll think about that one. I'll look at them. And I say, oh, actually, sorry, the red one's been sold. Someone else is taking that now. So now I've got green, blue, orange. You go, okay, good. I'll have a look at those three now. That's a bit different to me putting a contract in front of you, you signing the contract and say, sure, I'll have the red one, thanks. And then me saying to you two weeks later, oh, sorry, you can't have that now. Well, hold on, I've signed a contract. And and that's where I'd say this, that there were some discussions happening around some parts of land, but there was nothing ever formal put forward. And to, to gift or even to sell a parcel of land that council owns, it would have to go through council processes. Yep. Actually, you could sell parcel of land depending on market values, but to gift a parcel of land, absolutely. Mm. The CEO does not have that authority no. to gift a parcel of land. It needs to go through a council meeting. So go to May 2022, 26th of May 2022, mm. council meeting. So that was definitely off the books then, but we were still talking. What about some other crown land? Does it have to be land that the state government owns? I mean, let's keep talking about parcel land, the most appropriate. Mm. And then again, because it's not our decision, the state government decided in February this year, February mm. 2023, yep. to go with Spears Drive. That's not our decision. So that was a decision, putting it straight out there, this is something, a decision now that state government made in regards to Spears Drive. Because not even at any point in any of the discussions through council, from the point of view of the, the behind the scenes, not the councillors, but the council in regards to the discussions, at no point of time was Spears Drive ever mentioned by council itself. This has been a decision that's been made purely and solely as a state government body. And keep in mind that there was some land there in Spears Drive that the state government owned. It was owned by a different department. Yep. That will get transferred across to the Department of Health for the Department of Health to own that parcel of land. Yep. And again, the Department of Health doesn't have to use that mm. particular parcel of land because it's owned by the state government. They could use yep. any parcel of land. They could find another parcel. They could buy it. They could do a compulsory acquisition process. Yep. They've got the ability to do whatever parcel land they want. They chose that. We didn't. Again, we formally opposed that. Yep. But I, I think it's disingenuous to, for anyone yep. to try and put the blame on council well, for it going to Spears Drive. Clear. <laughs> well, you think so, clear. wouldn't you? Absolutely, in regards to the fact that the current council has in no way, shape or form reneged on any promises or any agreements or any council resolutions, supposed council resolutions in regards to any the other options. They were all rejected in the end by uh, state government, which are all discussions behind the scene from the council point of view. Nothing was formally ever stated and nothing from the point of view of the current council has formally been rejected. Correct. And, and when you say all rejected by the state government, the three were rejected by the state government. The fourth yep. one, well, it got to yeah, a the point... The North West Precinct one, that's right. That's right. It yep. got to a point where council, as a, as a body... Yes. 
and then eventually via our councillors said that's not appropriate to put it in the middle of a residential area. Yeah. And the state government then went and put it in the middle residential of a residential area. area. That's, that's right. right. Exactly. The other thing that's interesting in all of this is that the process, everyone says that we need this to happen as soon as possible. If you did go to the North Bungalgumbi area there, part of the problem you've got, there's a parcel of land there that could potentially have a drug rehab facility. But there's no sewerage at that site. There's no mm. water. Mm. There's no power. Mm. There's no NBN. There's no roads in that particular site. a lot of infrastructure site. getting placed to make it work. That's right. Now, I don't know when council put that business case together and said potentially we could give you a parcel of land, mm. say $700,000 as a value, for example. I'm not sure if they considered the valuation of the parcel of land only. Because when I start to think about running all those, because it's not as if those services are right next door at the moment. Mm. If you start to run all those services, that starts to add up to a lot of money, but a lot of time. Mm. Because take, for example, if you did go and use that North Bungalgumby site, let's say the state government says, actually, we've decided we're going to take that. We'll have it. Thanks very much. Mm. We'll do a compulsory acquisition. We have to, we've got no choice. We say, okay, they take that parcel of land. Then they say, oh, we need some sewage water, et cetera, that I've just talked about, services. Well, we would say, well, we're planning a whole northwest precinct. We don't just want to run a pipe for sewage straight from where it is now, straight across to there, because we want to plan a whole residential area. Mm. So you don't want to run straight across the areas because you can't build a house mm. over the top of a sewage line, for example. So we should plan the road network and how that, that whole area is going to look mm. and then run the sewage and the water, et cetera, along the various streets that will be part of that. Mm. So can you give us another six months to finish some of that planning mm. off? Then... You can start the construction work, not sure who's paying for it, but ignore that for the moment. And then you're talking about pipes. I mean, I talk to some developers and they're waiting on six months, 12 months for pipes to put in the ground, stormwater pipes, for example. So just give us a bit of time to build all that to then finally get the stage where you can connect that. Now you can go ahead and build your drug Mm. rehab facility. So it's not a quick process to do all of that as well. So there's a a fair few things in there. Can I just ask you one more question in regards to all this? Just in regards to, getting back to this question, this week, council meeting, it's back on the books again. What what further discussion needs to be had in regards to this? Like you've outlined incredibly well here in regards to what's actually happened, where council stands. What, why is the discussion continuing in council this week? Councillors have the ability to bring a notice of motion forward to council yep. for something that they can discuss around council and things that are relevant to council. So there's nothing stopping any councillor brings something forward. So there's a, a so question. There's a motion that's been brought forward. By that's the right. There's a question on notice for the council meeting this week that asks some of these questions that we've talked about here. And there's also a notice of motion that's related to that. So you might argue, and again, I won't say this about one of my fellow councillors, but you mm. might argue that it shouldn't be coming to council because it's all a state government decision. Mm. Why is council wasting any of its time on it? But again, councillors, that's democracy. They can bring things forward to be discussed and debated and it will be debated on Thursday night at the council meeting and the outcome will be the outcome and mm. we'll move forward from there. So, Is it about basically getting this clarify, or clarifying of what's actually happened again? Well, I, I'd probably say to people, read the business papers and have a look through those and see exactly what it's about. After, And I'm being a little bit cautious here because I don't want to try and you influence the discussion. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. There'll be a discussion at the council meeting and then there'll be a formal resolution and then okay. that'll be what I'll have to talk about as a formal resolution. So I suppose yeah. what I'm trying to do here is make sure that I'm not trying to unfairly no. influence the process. No. There's a question I notice, which there's an answer to. People can read that. But there's also the process in relation to the notice of motion and the debate that will occur around that and actions that will occur around that. But sure, have a look at it. 
yep. for anyone that wants to look at that debate and the resolution that will come out of it. But I suppose the really relevant point that you started with the first question mm. was this is a state government decision. I mm. can't get past that. That's no, that's the, the no. critical thing for me. I've actually even had a discussion, which I won't go into the detail of, but I wanted to just clarify in my own mind that this was absolutely right. So I actually rang the CEO of Western Local Health District mm. and had a, a really good discussion with him, probably 30 minutes on the phone, just to make sure that all of my understanding of this process was absolutely correct and any little holes I need filled in. I, I've talked with a number of people at state government a number of polys about this, just to make sure my understanding is clear. But this is, I can't stress it enough, mm. this is a state government decision. Yes. We don't make the decision. Council does not make the decision. Whatever the decision is will be a state government decision. I don't know how much influence we have, even sending off an, a formal letter, how much influence we have in terms of changing that council decision, or sorry, that state government decision. But we're happy to do it yeah. on behalf of the community. But ultimately, we are not, the decision maker in this process. Well done. It's a good point to finish on, I think. Well, Matt, it's been a long one today. Uh, we uh, covered a hell of a lot of stuff there from the point of view of a small area, but a hell of a lot of stuff in those small areas. But of course, it's got towards that time of our little podcast, and we always have time for your Limerick of the Week. So what do you got for us this week, buddy? All about the flag-raising ceremony this week. Oh, very special. In the heart of Dubbo, so serene... For the Philippines, a vibrant scene. One twenty-five years, the flag flies beneath the boundless skies. A sight so touching and serene. Oh, I've got a tear just dropping there right now. <laughs> I must admit, it was tough to get a limerick where I, where I got the 125 years and the Philippines and the flag raising in Dubbo. That was a bit of a challenge for so me You've this done week. well to get them all in there, you think, because there, there's not a lot of rhyming options in those menus, but you've done well. <laughs> well, mate, listen, thank you very much again for uh, your wonderful input in the day show. Everybody, until next week, you guys take care out there. We'll see you next week. Straight from the Mare's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.